Hey everyone, Nicole here. Before we dive into this week's episode, I wanted to share some exciting news with you all. As you listen to this week's episode, you might notice a new voice on our show. Devin Conley recently joined our team as our new digital content producer and will be taking on co-hosting duties with me going forward. You can learn more about Devin by listening to the podcast episode we did with her late last year. Now on to this week's episode. Overall, it's incredible to have something that, like you said, touches people that they're, they're not even in the Western industry, right? I mean, it's it's people all over the world that see this movie and find motivation from it. And I think that's the important part. Our world is so dark, I think, in general. And so if you can be a part of giving any piece of light to the world, you're doing something. You're doing something you're supposed to be doing. You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family. Welcome to The Ride, a bi-weekly podcast brought to you by Horse and Rider Magazine, co-hosted by Nicole Cherico and Devin Conley. In each episode, we chat with some of the industry's top trainers, clinicians, horsekeeping experts, and professionals to share inspiring stories, training philosophies, and the importance of living your best Western horse life. In this week's episode, we sit down to talk with Amberly Snyder. Amberly is a professional barrel racer who suffered a car crash that paralyzed her from the waist down back in 2010. With the help of physical therapy, a seatbelt that she designed to fit on her saddle, and the help from her horse Power, she returned to rodeoing a year and a half after her accident and even went on to compete at some of the industry's top events like the American Rodeo. Please enjoy this week's episode brought to you by ADM Forage First Patriot Beads. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Ride. Today, we are sitting down to talk with Amberly Snyder, who I don't really think needs much of an introduction. You've seen her just about everywhere. Yellowstone, her own movie on Netflix, at all the major rodeos and everything in between. So thank you, Amberly, for coming and talking with us during your really busy schedule. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a long time coming. We've, we've tried to do this a couple times, but finally it worked out. I know. I think we've been talking about podcasting for like for, like pre-pandemic. It's been that long. It has been a minute. It, so, I mean, finally, here we are. So I guess we will go ahead and start from the beginning. I think most people are probably familiar with who you are and what you've done for the industry as an adult. But let's start at the beginning and kind of talk about where your passion for horses and rodeo and barrel racing kind of started. So for me, I didn't come from a, a rodeo family, you know, that's something that I think a lot of, of rodeo athletes get to have. And that wasn't something that I was born into. My dad was a major league baseball player. My mom was a cheerleader. She had a horse when she was younger, but she didn't compete in the sport. When I came along, she wanted to make it possible when she saw I had an interest. So I started riding at three years old at a place in California and uh, fell in love with it, of course. I mean, once horses are in your blood, I don't think that goes away. So I started riding at three. And then when I was seven years old, my family moved to Utah. And I told my dad I would only move if he bought me a Palomino Burrow horse when we got there. So that's what he did. He got me my very first horse, my very first barrel horse. Her name was Lacey. She was a Palomino. And uh, I would say that's where my career started. 
Um, I mean, I don't know. I feel like I've been pretty lucky to have parents that even though they weren't in the Western industry or in the horse world, saw that I loved it and made it possible for me to, to start it and to love it and to do it and support me through it. For sure. Um, so you talked about your dad being an, you know, a baseball player and all of that. Obviously, horses are a different sport, but I'm, I'm guessing you can probably take a lot of what he has done with his career and any advice he might have for like the mental aspect of competing and being an athlete and, and training for a sport like that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. My dad, you know, knew or, and knows what it takes to be the best of the best. So for him, I mean, that's how his life was completely enveloped with baseball and uh, made it all the way up to the big leagues and even played in the 84 Olympics. So there's a lot of discipline that goes into being able to do that. You know, I mean, physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the above. And I think that he expected that out of his kids when we were tiny. I mean, I remember coming out of a barrel race one time and getting second place and he told me that was first loser. So it's like he was not afraid to to make sure that I was striving to be the best. And it, it wasn't that he didn't support me to do it. He did. Um, but he expected that, you know, I say I have the perfect combination of parents because my dad knew what it took and he expected that out of us. He wanted that training from us and that discipline. And then I can tell you, my mom is definitely the person who taught us to believe in ourselves. You know, when the runs didn't go well and my dad was a little bit upset, she would say, it's still okay. You know, still proud of you and, and you'll get it next time. That is an awesome combo. It's like second place is first loser. And then the other one's like, but second place is good still. You're all right. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly it. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, but for those that aren't, can you just talk a little bit about your accident and how it changed your life? Yeah. So I, you know, started riding horses when I was little and of course did the junior rodeos up into high school and thought I had this whole life planned out of what I was going to do when I graduated high school and during that year, I was actually serving as state FFA president as well. So I'd ran for that officer position and, and was able to get it. So during that year, I had taken a year off out of high school, not gone straight to college because I wanted to still rodeo, wanted to work on getting my permit and wanted to serve as state FFA president. Well, then that year, of course, took a very different shift when January of 2010, I was on my way to Denver, Colorado for the stock show and was involved in a rollover truck accident where I overcorrected, um, resulted with my truck enrolling, me being ejected and hitting a fence post on the side of the road, which is what broke my back and injured my spinal cord. You know, at 18, right, you have this whole life plan of this is what you're going to do and this is who you're going to be and all these big, exciting things. And mine definitely got shifted pretty quickly on the side of that road of what my life was going to look like. Yeah, the first time I heard this story, it was, I couldn't believe, because I met you after you got done speaking at a charity event here in Colorado and hearing your story and knowing that like there was never a question of if you were ever going to get back on a horse it was just when and that was so inspiring to me because I've I know so many other people who would have given up over something even less traumatic you know what I mean like it, it and you didn't let that happen but can you kind of talk a little bit about I mean, obviously that changed your life. There's no doubt about that. Like you, like you said, you were 18. You thought you knew exactly what you were going to do for the rest of your life and how that I was going to go. And, um, can you kind of talk a little bit about 
what happened, you know, once you got out of the hospital and you were back home and obviously you had to adjust how you work with horses, even just doing barn chores and driving your truck and trailer and saddling. I mean, I know we've done video content in the past of how you saddle your horse and all of that you had to relearn. Can you kind of talk a little bit about what that was like? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think the three famous words that I didn't think would become so famous, I said in the hospital, uh, that was when I was asked what my goals were. And I replied, walk, ride, rodeo. Didn't know that those were going to become, you know, the title of a book or even a movie. Um, but it's so crazy that you look at the, that basis of just where I wanted to be. So I didn't leave the hospital walking like I planned on. Um, and that's something I will continue to still strive for. I, I We just talked about, I just got some rewalk legs. So there's some robot legs that I get to walk in. They're not functional enough that I would say you'd use them on a daily basis, but 100% that I could be walking in them every single day, whether it's at home or at therapy. And, you know, that's just good for my body physically. So back up though, to what, what my goals were back then. Um, you know, I wanted to get back on a horse. That's what I wanted to do and figure out how. There was no how-to manual. You know, I was the only one that wanted to do what I was doing. I was the first one. So I couldn't call someone and ask uh, or get ideas. It was very much trial and error. So that was stuff on the ground, saddling horses, feeding horses, and then, you know, of course, on their back as well. How do I ride? How do I communicate with them? All right, now that I can, what are my goals? What do I want to do? And of course, I make this sound like it all went fast. It did not. It took months. It took months and Every time it went wrong, I had to spend a week being so mad and frustrated and then had to go, okay, it's okay. What do we do next? Right? It's still something I want to do. And that is such an up and down process. I don't believe it doesn't even apply to just horses. This applies to life. Just because you climb one mountain doesn't mean there's not another one behind it. So that was a hundred percent how it went. And I get to look back now and I'm thankful for, I guess, the up and down because I figured out what worked for me and really was able to recognize how much I love the sport I compete in and love being on the back of a horse, but was not always a uh, unicorns and rainbows trail to get there. And I love your honesty with that, that like you knew that it was going to be challenging and you still persevered. That's incredible. Um, so you're back on a horse, you're riding a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about like your first barrel race back, your first rodeo back, what that was like for you? So the very first run back, so that was 18 months after my accident. And I wish it was sooner than that, but I had taken nine months off um, and went to school and tried to find something that could replace these horses because I was so frustrated that I couldn't get it perfect. Um, so it was 18 months after my accident that I went and did a time only at the end of a race. And uh, I just like barely loped him through and everybody was crying and cheering and so excited. You know, so many people had stayed to watch this after. And I was like, whoa, guys, I'm going to go faster. So <laughs> I turned around and sent him back through and he was a second off of the winning time that day. So that was pretty exciting to, you know, to have known that the effort that went in had some light with it that I was like, okay, no, we really can do this. So that was the first run I made back. And then of course, I had to start entering and I uh, was able to, I think it was uh, two weeks later, was able to place in the 2D average over a weekend that they had a race in Farmington. And that was pretty special because I didn't know what I was going to be capable of doing. And I mean, no, we didn't win the whole race, right? But we kept up and we were able to be in that ballpark of our horse, my horse competing well and doing a good job, me being able to stay on top of him. So 
yeah, that was that was kind of the first the first race back, you know, the first weekends back. Uh, it's funny, I think about it now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I look at how I rode then, even to how I ride now, and oh my heck, like we've come a long way. Well, and not even just with the riding side of it, but you had to figure out how to create tack to you know, fit your needs. And that's, again, like you said earlier, you can't just call someone up and be like, what did you do? Like, this is something that nobody has ever done before. And I I've seen your saddle in person cause we've traveled together and you guys worked really hard to come up like with some straps that kind of help hold you in, but still keep you able to move, uh, the way that you need to with your upper body for the barrel racing stuff. Can you kind of talk about like what the process was and the trial and error to kind of find what worked for you? Yeah, I, uh, seatbelt is what came first and there was a guy in Arizona. He was not paralyzed, but he had a seatbelt on the saddle, a team roper. So that's where the seatbelt idea came from. We had no idea if it was going to work for my instance. Cause like I said, this man could walk. Uh, he just needed it for some balance. So we started there that seemed to work, right. That seemed to hold me in the middle, but now my legs moved a whole lot. So we decided we first tried it with some hay strings of like, okay, maybe we just kind of tie my stirrups to, to my cinch rings and maybe this will work. And it was like, Oh, like that was kind of okay. But honestly, tying my feet to the saddle made my knees move even more. So we're like, okay, maybe we don't need something on my feet. Maybe I need something um, up higher. So then we did the Velcro straps around my fenders and my eyes right above my knees. And I was like, okay, that worked, right? Like my horse was like, all right, he wasn't panicked. Like I was kicking anymore. You could tell my legs still move, but it wasn't confusing. So we did that and rubber banded my feet in. That was the process through the first summer. Um, it was the next year that I added the last piece, which is a nylon strap that buckles across my left hip. So my seatbelt rides on my right hip. So it kind of puts a little bit extra pressure so that I don't slide to the right. And when I would turn to the or turn to the right, right, my uh, my hips would slide. A little bit to the outside so I got one more strap put in that would put in that stability and I've been asked and so I'll just answer it here I've been asked well why don't you put the seatbelt right in the middle because then you would have you know maybe you wouldn't need that extra strap we've we've thought about this we've tried it it doesn't work because honestly I need that extra so putting the seatbelt right in the middle all that did was make it so I was going to need a, a nylon strap buckled on both sides so it's easier to have the seatbelt resting on one hip, make sure that I don't have give there, and then have this nylon strap on the other to, to protect that hip from moving. And those were all the pieces. Um, I had to learn the hard way that I needed a, a better pad on my saddle. I had sheep skin on there to start with, but um, I started with a, a little tiny sore that turned into a bad pressure sore and five months of bed rest and a year of a wound back and three surgeries to fix. Uh, all because I just, I didn't know what kind of cushion I was going to need. You know, I've ridden my whole life. You don't really worry about saddle sores like that. Um, so then I, I went to an air seat, like my, is actually custom, like my, like my wheelchair. And I rode in that all up until about two years ago. And I decided I wanted to try to do something different. It it was throwing my balance off that I couldn't ride two-handed. You know, I mean, I'm riding on air, so it's almost like a trampoline. And so I got this gel seat that I sit on, and it's been a little trial and error. I've had to be careful with a couple little scuffs um, to make sure that 
everything turns into a pressure sore. Um, but it's, it has improved my riding a lot. You know, it's made it so that I can ride a horse two handed. It's made it so that my balance is even better. And, and that was really just within the past two years. I mean, the year I made circuit finals was the first year I ran with a seat like that. Wow. Yeah. There's the trial and error of all that is something like, I wouldn't even think that you'd have to experience, but that's so incredible to hear about. Um, power, right? People love power. And I'm talking about your horse, of course. Can you like talk a little bit about power and what makes him so special? Cause he's, he's a pretty incredible horse. Oh yeah. Power is a uh, golly. He, he's his own deal, right? I think that there are, there are now so many horses and dogs and rabbits and kittens and puppies and ponies all named power because of him. Um, there are so many things that I get I messages I get of, this is uh, my kid and her new horse power. This is my kid and, and they're, you know, they've renamed everything power. And that part, I just absolutely love. Uh, he's pretty special. So I got him when I was in high school, trained him. He was the one I was planning on pro rodeoing on. Um, and then of course I wrecked. He was the one I got back on to compete with. And uh, I didn't know how it was going to go because he is so high energy and his attention span is so small that we were a little bit worried how he was going to handle the shift, but he, he really did. I mean, he knew that's his job. He still knows that that's what he was created here for. And yeah, I mean, he's the one that I got back on and started competing with. I ran in the American. We played ourselves in Yellowstone. Uh, he now has a briar horse out uh, after him that just came out this year. So pretty special. He's, he's retired now. You know, he's 20 years old this year. He doesn't owe me anything. So he gets to be retired. He still gets rode a couple times a week by my mom at her house. That's where he lives at. He's uncle power now because I have a baby. And uh, he was there and watched that baby be born and literally nickered at it when it came out. Like he loves, well, he kind of hated it for a minute. He loved it and then he hated it. And now he likes it again. So it took a minute to get back and forth. Um Still happy as he can be, just living the retired life. At ADM Animal Nutrition, our mission is doing what's right for the horse, and that starts with quality feed. The ADM Forage First Patriot Feeds are premium feed blends formulated for horses at every stage of life. Our Forage First philosophy means starting with the highest quality forage available and then adding the right Patriot product. Each bag of Patriot Feed includes gross strong vitamins and minerals, as well as ingredients to support gut function and integrity. Feed Forage first. Feed Patriot to your best friend. For more information, visit admequine.com. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I, your story with power, it's, it's really cool to see such a amazing connection with a horse and I mean it's it's why we do what we do right like we love that bond with that horse and I think it's safe to say that you have that really special bond with him and and you always will even though he's now uncle power and he's living his best retired life yeah absolutely um so you kind of started to gain a lot of momentum on social media when you started doing wheelchair Wednesdays um and it was a really cool insight into your life because not everybody you know, is around someone who is now in a wheelchair and doing barn chores, saddling. I mean, I think I saw how you, your trailer was, you know, you had a custom trailer made to help and all these really cool things. And so you kind of, 
you, you knew people were curious and wanted to learn more and maybe even inspire other people who might have given up on their dreams. Like, hey, if I can do it, you can too. Can you talk a little bit more about Wheelchair Wednesday and kind of what the pro- thought process was when you first started coming up with the idea? Yeah, Wheelchair Wednesday, man, I was a little nervous to start those, but I was getting asked all the time on my social media with messages of how do you do this and how do you do that? And I was kind of, you know, trying to write these descriptions back of how I did things. And I finally was like, what if I just, what if I just show people, right? What if I just make these videos and show people and my brain doesn't work that I was like, I can't just make them for no reason, right? They have to have a name. So I'm like, okay, well, we might as well do a wheelchair Wednesday because uh, makes sense, right? So I started recording them and it was fun. It was fun even to to think outside the box of like, hey, how can I show them this? And and realized even the most simple tasks, people were interested in seeing. So those, I think, golly, I think I started my wheelchair Wednesdays back in like 2014, maybe 2013, something like that. And I was still pretty new. I mean, that's only three, four years after my accident. So I was still learning a lot. And I did those solid every Wednesday, I think for two years. Um, That's a lot of videos. And then I was like, I was getting to the point that I was like, I don't know what else to show. I feel like I've done everything. And then now I've started doing them again um, and realizing I can start over, you know, because I have so many new people that are following. And honestly, I've learned how to do things differently than even what I did at three years out after the accident. Now I'm 13 years out. So something so simple in the beginning, you know, maybe I have a different technique to do it now. So I'm getting to do them again this year. We'll do, well, you'll see more wheelchair Wednesdays coming out as the year goes on. And uh, I'm excited. I think the last one I did was actually, I was standing on my rewalk legs and just did the whip and nay nay with the people at my therapy center. So nothing really like that wasn't actually teaching, but it was sweet in those legs. So I actually did that, but you'll see more coming this year. Wheelchair Wednesdays, remakes of ones that I've done, of course, and, and how I've learned how to do things differently. But it's it's crazy how many people watch them. And like you said, learn from them or inspired by from them or motivated by them. And and that part makes me want to continue to do them. Yeah, the the inspiration piece. Like if I had to venture a guess, Amberly, I bet you get told that you're an inspiration a lot, right? Yes. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. Because you are. You're an incredibly inspirational person. Um, who inspires you? Like, who do you find to be inspiring? Uh, that I, I can easily say the people in my family. So my family members are the heroes to me. They're the inspiring people to me. You know, they're the ones that pick me up and keep me going. They're the ones that when I'm like, okay, this is getting too hard. You know, they remind me that they've got me and it's going to be okay. I think that so much can come from them and so much strength I've gathered from them. Um, I don't know, just popped into my mind, though, because I was like, oh, I'm I'm seeing a couple little little humans faces that I've met along the road. And those little kids, man, they definitely have brought inspiration into my life. Because when you see a tiny little child handling a situation, whether it's something that they had from birth or something that they're facing in their family, and you just look at them and you're like, man, you don't need to do that. You know, like, you shouldn't have to face this. And Kids always are smiling. You know, they they find the happiness in the smallest things, and I have a hundred percent gathered inspiration and, and strength from them as well. That's yeah, that's really cool. I I you know I don't really I've never really thought of it that way, 
but you're right. You look at those kids and and they're going through a lot and and they're they're children and they're smiling and and if they can do it you can too. Um you you know you did this movie Walk Ride Rodeo. We've talked a little bit about it when you talked about how these three words you never thought were going to be as famous as they are are and how what everybody knows you as. Um I was with you when you were working with Netflix on the script, actually, I believe. Um, and then a couple of years later, I saw the movie. It was amazing. And you got to be part of the movie, which is even more amazing. And do your own, uh, you were your own stunt double, yes. right? For the, for the girl that played you. Can you talk a little bit more? I mean, talk about the entire experience, like writing the book, writing the screenplay and, and, you know, getting involved with Netflix. And now it's this huge movie. I mean, I have kids and people at the barn who are like, oh, you got to go to Netflix and check out this movie about this barrel racer. And I'm just like, yeah, I, I know her. Like, <laughs> I've, I've worked with her. And and they're just like, you know, it, it's opened your name and, and what you're doing up to hunter jumpers, dressage riders, like people who aren't necessarily in our industry seeing you at rodeos. The movie is uh, such a story in itself. You know, I I never expected that. I, I tell you, you know, you just asked me if I get if I get called an inspiration all the time and I can say yes, but it's not that you don't wake up in the morning and you just decide, hey, I'm I'm gonna be an inspiration today. Like that's that's just what my plan is. Like you don't do that, right? You wake up in the morning and you think, okay, what can I do to make my life better than it was yesterday? You know, what can I do to improve the position that I'm in with what I can control? And it's crazy that just that decision can inspire other people. So when the movie came along and they wanted to write a movie about me, I mean, I said, no, I said, my family has been through enough the first time around. I'm, I'm not going to have this remade. And I know that movies are not as accurate as you wish that they were. So no, um, my parents said, yes, we're going to do that. So the script was written. And then honestly, that company didn't get anything done. And so then it kind of fizzled out. I ran in the American, a new company came in. I said the same thing I did the first time. I don't want to do it. My parents said, yes, we do. So that is what we did. So then the movie, the script was put together uh, out and then we started filming. It took four weeks, four and a half weeks to film it. Not really that long. Um, and then the rest of the year, we filmed it in July and August and then the rest of the year to edit it. And of course it came out in March of the following year and what a process. I mean, you feel every emotion you can think of feeling when you're on set watching your movie be made. Some days it doesn't even feel real because you're like watching it, right? And other days you feel super, I don't know, emotional re-watching things of your life and and all the emotions, right? The happy ones, the proud ones, the sad ones. I mean, overwhelmed, everything that goes involved involved into that. And it was it was a neat process. I wish I knew then what I know now, and I would do it again. Um, and I could have maybe had a few things differently than, than what were in it. But um, overall, it's incredible to have something that, like you said, touches people that they're, they're not even in the Western industry, right? I mean, it's, it's people all over the world that see this movie and find motivation from it. And I think that's the important part. Our world is so dark. I think in general. And so if you can be a part of giving any piece of light to the world, you're doing something, you're doing something you're supposed to be doing. 
Yeah, and I can tell you, I taught middle school for a long time, and I had middle school students that had nothing to do with ho- the horse industry, Western industry, that watched that and and wrote about you, like in inspirational essays and things for our class. So it, it really did reach uh, so many people. Um, on kind of the same vein of uh, TV, movie, how'd you get to a start in Yellowstone? Um, like, how did that come about? <laughs> that Yellowstone was fun. So uh, a friend, a family friend, he had a lot of the horses that were on the show Yellowstone. And so, and he was friends with Taylor Sheridan. So he had told him about my story and said, Hey, like you should write this in if it ever fits. Well, fast forward to season three. Um, he was writing the script and putting it together. And he once again was having a conversation with my friend, Jake Ream. And, and he was like, I need to find a story that's motivating and inspiring to Jimmy. And he was like, dude, you already have one. Like I already told you like oh yeah so he wrote it into the script and what's so crazy is I'd gotten a little bit of a heads up from Jake but not really from obviously through of you know in the but the directors and whatever from Yellowstone that just shows up in an email of like hey we've written you in this script uh you know we need you to show up and so we can do that so and we just did we figured out what day worked and it was five hours of filming for that three minutes of the scene or whatever it is but that is the way that the movie industry works and the TV industry works. So it is, it's a lot of sitting, but it was super neat. Um, uh, Power, of course, played himself and they, they kind of weren't sure if they, they didn't care if I brought about power or legacy or something. And I was like, well, no power deserves to be in there. And not to mention, he loves the limelight. He loves being on camera. He behaves so good when he's on camera. Legacy does not. So of course it made sense to put him there. And uh, yeah, that was fun. It was crazy how many people, like I got messages of like, did we just see you on Yellowstone? I think we just saw you. Cause I didn't tell anybody. I really didn't make it besides I've made one post of like, we got to be guest stars in Yellowstone, like period, the end, like didn't talk about anything else. And I didn't see a preview. I had to watch it just like everyone else when it came out. So yeah, that was fun. And it's fun that even still get messages for people like, did we just see you on Yellowstone? I'm like, yeah, I know it's short, but yes, I was in there. I think I did the exact same thing when I saw you on Yellowstone and I was like, wait, was that just Amberly?" <laughs> exactly. That's what everybody does. They're like, wait a minute, sure enough. her? <laughs> sure enough, it was Amberly. <laughs> um, but so you talked about how Jake, your friend Jake is the one that kind of got you involved in that. Um, for those who might not be familiar, Jake is also a reoccurring character on the TV show. I believe that he originally, like you said, he provides a lot of the horses, but then he somehow managed to get into the clubhouse. He's so now in the bunk you, <laughs> yeah, the bunk house. So yeah, that was, that's really cool. Um, so you've talked a little bit about power and legacy. And um, before we started recording, you were also talking about some of the younger up and coming ones that you have. Can you talk a little bit, a little bit more about what's the future for you? What, you know, what horses you have in your string and, and what you're kind of looking forward to doing with them? Yeah. So I have, I have a handful right now. I actually, I actually have a couple for sale because I have too many. I've, I started collecting and I don't know why I started collecting. I think that I have time to do that. And then I remember I really don't. And then I also have to remember my body says no to like a certain amount of horses. It just can't do it. So um, I have three main ones when I get, I have two, when I get two of these horses sold, I have a young one and then a finished one that will go. And then, um, I'll be left with three. And so 
that's legacy. Of course, he's the main guy. He's, you know, my go-to good horse. And then I have two backups behind him. One is Penny, uh, color princess Penny. Um, I guess I could even this, since this is horse humans, I could even say what they're bred. So legacy his he, his name is French open. He's a son of Frenchman's guy, um, out of a miss I paint on the bottom. Um, Mr. I opener is what he is. I've had him since he was six. He's 15 this year. Um, and he's been pretty great. You know, he's the one that's carried me to two circuit finals. So then the backup to him is Penny. Her name is uh, BW Fame Came 2. I ended up with her uh, three years ago, two years ago, maybe. Yeah, three years ago is when I got her. So she's a daughter of Dash to Fame out of a Dash and Elvis mare on the bottom. And she's been she's been tricky you know she's definitely pushed me to be better like when I talked about needing to ride two-handed in a run that was her that required that out of me and we've gone through a lot of headbutting stages but then some really awesome things I mean that horse has brought me to a level I didn't know if I could get back to again um but she was kind of like hey like if you want to make this work you better get there so she's pretty special she's the backup to legacy and then the up and coming her name is heads up gorgeous we call her willow and uh, she's a daughter of Blaze and Jetalina out of a Frenchman Sky Mare on the bottom. And she's pretty special. Uh, like I said, she's been on the back burner. Bless her heart. I've had her for a year and a half. And I just, she's just so easy that, you know, when, when she does good, like she retains it, she doesn't really like go backwards. And so it's easy to put her on the backside because of that. But this year I'm requiring her to, and I'm giving her the time for her to step up and hopefully be able to hit some small pro rodeos with her, if not just some amateur rodeos and get her ready for the rodeo scene. Um, Cause she's ready. And I think every other barrel racer listening right now can agree that that is like an excellent, <laughs> outstanding lineup of horses. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, I, I understand you're selling, but when you're ever buying, what's the biggest thing you look for in a new horse, a young horse? Do you have a certain characteristic that really you need to have? You know, that's been even a learning a learning curve for me. I mean, the one of the ones that is for sale right now, I thought we were a match made in heaven. I really did. You know, I'd watched her run and, and I, I saw what she had done and I've seen her stats of what she was capable of. And I was like, Oh my gosh, me and my horse, that horse, like we're going to win together. And then she has no clue what I'm asking without my legs, bless her heart. Like she's just, she's almost so broke and to try to like back her off. She's 12. And so to try to back her off to just my hands, you can tell she's like, I don't, I don't say this language and that's kind of hard um and a lesson I have to continue to learn is not every horse works for me I I need a horse that wants to go by itself that has to be on the list right they have to be fire because if they if they have to be pedaled along the way there that's not my kind of horse um and then they have to be willing to learn with just my hands and that means that they can't get lazy through their body when they do it I have a dressage whip and I have a training program and stuff that I do at home in order to help maintain it. But when it comes down to the actual run, they, they've got to be good, right? Like they have to be able to hold their body correctly in order for me to be successful out there. And some horses just need more help. Doesn't make them any lesser than, of course, at all, right? Or even me any lesser than. I have to remind myself of that, that just some horses are, are made for me. They don't want legs or don't need legs. You can talk to them through your hands and your voice and they have the fire to want to go by themselves. 
that's a really good point. And, you know, I think it's safe to say, though, that everybody has a horse that or type of horse, you know, you, you want one that you don't need. A, obviously, you know, you can do without the legs and, and they go off of your hand and your voice and and, you know, they have that fire. And, and so, I yeah, no, I get that. It, not every horse is going to be for anyone. And I sh- I'm sure with your process and what you're doing, you know, competing at the pro rodeo circuit, it takes a special horse to fit and check all those boxes. And when you find them, that's pretty special. That's exactly what it is. I mean, and that's for anybody, like you said, it's when you, when you find the horse that fits you, there is something special that happens there. There's some magic. There is some magic that goes into finding that horse that fits. And I've been super lucky that I would say I have the one in a millions. um, And I have a few of them. I've been really lucky to have a few of them. And that's since I was little, you know, I mean, the first horses that I've had and power, of course, and then legacy even now. And I think Penny will step up to be that as well. But yeah, there's a bond that goes on there. So let's talk a little bit about rodeos before we let you go. You have competed on the main stage at the biggest events in the world. I still remember your video when you ran in the American Um, what would you say is your favorite memory, favorite rodeo that you've competed at? You know, what, what stands out to you? I mean, of course the American was a pretty big run, right? That was early on. That was still when I was running power. I mean, I still, that was five years after my accident. So I was pretty new. Of course, that will always be a memory that I cherish to be on such a big stage running with the best of the best there. Since then, you know, now that I compete on the wilderness circuit. Um, I mean, I'm the only paralyzed professional barrel racer in the United States, so they don't give me my own category or a, or a head start. Sometimes I wish they did because I could win. <laughs> Man, if they could give me just a half a second sometimes, I would be really good. But um, no, it's, it's cool, and I've gotten to go a lot of neat places. I would say last year, the one that stands out to me the most, last year I went to Salinas, California, and it's a, a rodeo that's over three different days. It's in the summer. And golly, it was great. You got up in the morning. The weather was beautiful. You made a run. You put your horse up. You went and had seafood somewhere, went to Monterey, like go to the bay or whatever. And then you watch the rodeo in the afternoon. Uh, I always drew slack. So, geez, I mean, like that was a that was a sweet way to be. I wish every rodeo could be just that fantastic. Um, that one was fun you know, to go and experience. I've been able to go up into Oregon, did St. Paul. That one was neat. This is the Christmas trees in the arena. Ran in Pendleton. Of course, that's the green mile. That one was amazing. Um, I did that once with power and then I've done it at a barrel race with legacy and penny. Hopefully I'll enter this year and go back up. Uh, Penny actually did better than legacy there. I mean, some of those rodeos that, that you just dream of being in Cheyenne was able to go to Cheyenne. I went down to Prescott to run in it last year, but then it rained so hard. I didn't get to run. I just sat and watched. Um, and then, I mean, there's of course, big rodeos in my circuit. Spanish fork is one of the toughest rodeos that gets run all year. Um, and it's fun that it's in my circuit. I mean, Reno, Reno's another big one. These rodeos, I mean, it's incredible when you get to do the sport you love at the level that you love it. But then when you're warming up with these legends in the warm up pen, it makes it even more surreal. So that was a really long answer of rodeos that I've gone to and what I love to do, but Yeah, that's just a little bit. It's the perfect answer. I love it. Um, And like you said, you you've been rodeoing against the people that have inspired you and, you know, all of these other big names. And how cool is that, that 
that's what you get to do. And, and you've been able to overcome so much and still get to that level, which I don't think a lot of people could, you know, do. So that's amazing. And, um, so what rodeos, what's coming up for you? Are you headed back out on the road? I know we've been trying to schedule this podcast forever because between holidays and travel schedules, it's been crazy. So I leave tomorrow to go to Missouri to speak. So it's a little more speaking season right now. Um, I'll speak in Missouri this week and then I teach a clinic next week in Idaho. Um, and then I'll probably head back to Arizona. So I'm in Utah right now, but I'll head back to Arizona for another month of sunshine. I'll take um, Legacy down there and Willow down there. Penny, I'm going to wait. Probably, I don't know. Who knows? I might decide to load her up. But two usually is good down there and try to get them ready for rodeo season. You know, I'll spend another month and then I'll come home um, through April and May and make sure everybody is sharp and ready for the rodeo season. I just want to stay in my circuit this year. With Legacy getting a little bit older, I want to, I really want to make sure that I take care of him um, and not spend so much time on the road. Um, and that's, that's my plan with him is to run all the wilderness circuit rodeos here, be able to hit some amateur rodeos with my young horses and yeah, see what the year holds. I like it. Well, before we let you go, um, for those who don't already follow you on social media, where can they follow along on your very crazy, busy journey of speaking clinics rodeos everything in always between always you can find me on instagram on facebook on tiktok on twitter i don't actually know how to log into my twitter but i think my other stuff goes to that um on any of those right you can find me on all of the social media sites and then of course on my website as well amberlysnyder.org i try to be pretty good about posting my schedule on my social media on where I'm going to be if it's big rodeos in the summer or speaking engagements during the rest of the year. So find me there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad we could finally do this. Me too. Me too. Thank you. Um, But yeah, uh, stay tuned, everybody. I'm sure we will have more Amberly content coming out this year. And uh, yeah, thanks again. Once again, we'd like to thank ADM Forge First Patriot Feeds for sponsoring this episode of The Ride. Thank you guys for tuning into The Ride Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and please be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Horse and Rider Magazine on social media, and find us at horseandrider.com to see all the cool things that we're up to. And if you have any comments or questions, please be sure to hit us up at horseandrider at equinenetwork.com. We want to hear from you guys. And if you like what you're listening to, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes.